Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. And that's really what I, I, you know, go for in both my coaching and in the book is teaching us how to shift from surviving into thriving. So if I were in a room of, of women who are coming up, I would ask them to think about what are the mindsets? What are the things that are running in your head that tell you, I better make sure I do this, or I need to have options in a job because... And just ask yourself, are those things that are going to help you survive or are those things that are going to help you thrive? Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff and welcome to Lead to Succeed episode 106. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jenny Blumenthal. Jenny spent 20 years as an executive in corporate America, counseling Fortune 500 companies on growth strategy and digital transformation, and left during their pandemic pivot. She now coaches executive women to do their own corporate rehab and grow in their existing career or in a new opportunity. Her new book, Corporate Rehab, Ditch the Hustle Culture and Thrive Again, came out on October 1st, 2022, which is just a few weeks ago. And so, Jenny, I am super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Naftali. I'm excited to be here. It's a real pleasure, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about your book. So, as they say, Mazel Tov, congratulations on getting that book out. As as an author myself, I know that that's not a small feat. Uh, so congrats to you. And uh, let's talk about this corporate rehab thing. Uh, it's interesting because I know we talked about it just in the lead up to recording that literally my last guest, Sarah McElroy, also had a message relating to women in the workforce and whatnot. I'm sure yours is going to be unique and special and, of course, colored by your own experiences. So I would love to get your take on corporate rehab and why so, so many women need it. Sure. So corporate rehab um, actually grew out of some of my own experience, as you mentioned. I was an executive in corporate America for 20 years, um, left at the very beginning of the Great Resignation um, as I was really at a pinnacle within my career. I was leading a $300 million business unit, 250 people, doing digital transformation all over the world. But that also meant I was on planes three times a week um, Mm. and really hustling for the next uh, step up the career ladder. Meanwhile, I've got a very full life outside of work. I've got two kids. At that point, they were both in elementary school, a husband with his own career. And we really, really were just hustling all of the time, both at work and in our personal lives to fit everything in. And mm-hmm. so at the point when the pandemic happened, it was a chance for me to go inward and really explore a little bit about you know, whether this was really what I wanted um, and whether this situation I was in was really good for me. Was I going to wind up with the things that I've always said I wanted in life? Did it align with my values? And uh, unfortunately, I found that at that moment, I had it did not. And so either I had outgrown the, the position, um, I was burned out. We didn't have that language at the time. And so uh, I left very abruptly. And I jokingly, when people would ask, what are you doing now? I said, I'm putting myself through my own corporate rehab. 
Um, I'm really detoxing from, you know, everything that I just went through. I'm resting and, and, and really I use that time to learn more about why we stay um, in situations that maybe aren't good for us, or maybe we've just outgrown because we're humans and it's fair to want different things as we age. And that's really what led to the process of corporate rehab. I had so many people reaching out and saying, I feel burned out too. Tell me what you did, or I'm in a toxic workplace. What do I do next? And I started sharing articles and links from all the research that I was doing. Um, and it really turned into something where it was easier for me to put it into a framework and share with them everything that I did and really get to a sense of what are we rehabbing from? Um, and this is very similar to Sarah's message. So I'm thrilled um, that it's really the hustle culture that we're trying to rehab from or that we need rehab from. And that's what led me to put the book together. I do private coaching and workshops for both individuals and companies. And I just figured the book would be an easier way to start to share that. And as I began that process, I got flooded with other women asking to share their stories. So I've collected 300 female executive stories of their own process um, to detox from the hustle court culture or the moment that they had burnout. So that's really the, the background of what corporate rehab means for me. Um, and why women you mentioned get are more prevalent to it. I think there's a lot of reasons. And in the book, I cover both the macro and the micro, the things that are going on around us. And then the things that we do within our own bodies and souls to keep the, the hustle culture in place. So things like an outsized role in caregiving, where you find that women are not only doing their day job if they work outside the home or they work inside the home, but then you've got, you know, in uh, couples, you've got another extra 20 hours of caregiving that that women typically do in addition to or outsized of what men provide in the home. So it's really a job and a half that they're doing from a caregiving perspective. That's one major thing with no national level caregiving policy. There's a, a decent amount of burnout that that um, you know, that, that generates both at work and at home. But we also go into the book and in my coaching into the mindsets where we keep it in place too, where we say we're hustling for our value outside of ourselves. And there's so many reasons that we can get into, but I think that's really why women wind up, um, you know, being extra susceptible to the hustle culture. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things I'd like to, I guess, focus in on, in what you just shared. And there was a lot and really good stuff there. And um, as I mentioned in my last recording, literally to my to my right um, is a wall. And on the other side of the wall is my wife's office. And mm -hmm. so I have a home office and then I um, work outside of the home as well. But um, she's working a quote nine to five. You know, she has that extra responsibility. We thank God have six kids. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of responsibility and she shoulders quite a bit of it. And so I do get it. You know, and having the capacity in her case to work from home does make a huge difference right. because the washing machine is not terribly far and a quick errand is, is, is a quick errand. And it's not something you have to sort of navigate from a more remote distance. Um, so everything you're saying really does resonate. One thing that is not necessarily specific to your topic, but I think is really very powerful, especially in my role as a coach, uh, I find a lot of value and meaning in it is this idea of, you didn't say it maybe in these words, but I wrote down pause for reflection, which is what COVID provided you, right? The opportunity to take a step back and really pause and say, am I happy with the way things are going? Is this really the life that I wanna lead for myself moving forward or do I need to make a change? Now, mm -hmm. for the most part, that pause might happen to us, 
right? Pandemic, um, right. being let go, for example, a broken relationship or something. Sometimes it happens to us. Sometimes it happens by us. And we, we choose to hit the pause button on our own. But regardless of the, um, the, the impetus that, that leads us to that, that is a very important point. And I think it's really, really critical for people to be able to, from time to time, make a strategic pause in their lives just to take stock. It doesn't mean anything is broken or wrong, but minimally to not just be on this proverbial hamster wheel forever. So I'm curious to know, Jenny, in your experience personal, as well as the data you collected, what 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 insights do you have specific to that? Yeah, I think it's a great point because the hustle culture itself depends on us not stopping. Because if you're constantly hustling and the your life is full and you're running to the next thing, or maybe you have a thought about something and that is painful or disturbing and you push it away, then you can just stay on this path, which unfortunately um, for men and women alike, but again, women, you know, also have some, some different perspectives on this. It works really well for everybody else. <laughs> Sometimes when you're an executive and you're helping someone else's agenda above you, you know, they, they need you to stay on that hamster wheel. If you've, you know, or you're chasing kids and a full life and work, it, it helps when you're trying to take care of everybody else's needs. But the challenge is then you don't take that time to your point to pause and reflect. And hopefully you do it often enough so that you can make adjustments where you go. Um, I think from my own personal story, I did not recognize the value of that. Um, and for a, a lot of reasons, you know, some of them, some of them um, harmless reasons of being taught, you know, ambition and grit and hustle so that you can take care of your family, which are all wonderful things. I think the challenge becomes when we get stuck in that hustle culture, which is different than hustle, um, where we're just on that gear the whole time. We never come back out of it. So if you think of it as gears on a bike or a roller coaster, there's this natural or even fields that are, you know, there's a time to, to plant and a time to reap and a time to sow. There's all of this cycle um, that's, that's, you know, germane to life that we should be following where you're hustling for something, whether that's to close a deal or to get the kids out the door with shoes on their feet, and then you rest, right? The problem I think becomes when we keep ourselves on that, that up the whole time of saying the one, you know, one uh, achievement is done and it's on to the next thing, or sometimes the culture around us, whether that's society, whether that's a specific workplace, it can even be one boss within a workplace, which is what I found from my research. There's some really interesting research around the great resignation that focuses on microcultures and what happens at that middle management level where you have one person that dictates the experience for everybody else. So, um, and it's really hard to balance those pieces, but I think you're right that if you don't take the time to pause and reflect, the hustle culture is really dependent on you just, you know, keep going. So I think that's the piece that is, is really important to, to stop and do. Nice. So I actually have two questions. I think each of them are loaded. Um, okay. but I'll go one at a time and let's see where it goes with us. So I want to I want to reverse engineer here a little bit if I can because I I have I have thoughts and theories so to speak as to kind of how we got to where we are in terms of the you talk about the hustle culture but specifically for women mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with the messaging the training and how young young women are raised and the thought processes of what success looks like mm -hmm. now. Um, Knowing what you know now, using Brian Tracy's quink analysis, right? Knowing what I now know, um, going back, if you had 
opportunity to go into places of education, um, training in workplaces and things like that, and deliver a message, maybe not a curriculum, but, but at least a message. If you were going to be invited as a speaker to address young women in particular, whether they're still in their formative years going to conventional schooling or perhaps you know college level or above, what might you tell them in terms of their thought process, in terms of spe success specifically, that might be different than let's say the messaging that you think is prevalent today? Mm -hmm. um, so what I'd first start with is just, um, and this is, this is I think age old wisdom, but really important when we think about our society today is start by looking within. And that depends on that pause and reflect. Um, so much of our mindsets and behaviors is really dictated by the way we were raised from our earliest experiences, our life experiences that we that we pick up. And we're so often running on other people's stories um, and other people's decisions, other people's you know, desires for our life that you know, starting with looking within and understanding what's going on within you and, and whose stories you're really living out, I think is the first piece. And then shifting to a point where you're the author of your own story. And when I went into this, I really started to do a lot of research. So, you know, think back to, I left in, um, in October of 2020 and I thought I'd just go into the next thing, but we were in the middle of a pandemic. The kids were doing school at the kitchen table. And I thought, you know, really until they're back in a big way, I can't, you know, go back to 14 hours on Zoom or into an office. And so I really spent a lot of time going within and I researched the neuroscience of leadership and all of the mental, social and emotional health that we're not taught in schools. And we're not taught unless we have parents who are emotionally attuned, which means they were taught somehow, um, or we somehow have a friend or a partner who has that emotional attunement. And I think if we think about that piece of it, it's very unlikely. Um, and then you add actually the fact that mental health is, is still has such a stigma in this country. It's very unlikely that you arrive at a place where you are have a very balanced perspective of what it takes to succeed in a society that really glorifies the, you know, the worldly views of money will, will protect you. Um, yeah, money, money gives you happiness, those types of things. And most of us would say that, of course, we, you know, wouldn't believe that money can buy happiness. That sounds like a, a Hallmark movie that we all know to avoid. Don't go through that door. But a lot of us might have, have had experiences early on that have actually coded thoughts in our brains that we're not even aware they're subconscious patterns. So things like if you witnessed a, a, um, a parent having a financial challenge um, and then they worked really hard, had enough money to pay for you to go to college and always instilled in you that if you have enough money, you can take care of things. There might be this subconscious pattern in you that says, oh, if I have money, that will make sure that I can avoid vulnerability. My personal experience in that is my grandmother was a huge um, impact on my life. I was raised by my parents, but she also, we'd visit her a lot and she always had these wisdoms that she'd throw out. She was raised in the depression where there was real scarcity and you really did have to hustle for survival. And so she gave all kinds of great advice about how to survive. But when you think about human evolution and how to move from surviving into thriving, 
we're missing that whole script. And that's really what I, I, you know, go for in both my coaching and in the book is teaching us how to shift from surviving into thriving. So if I were in a room of, of women who are coming up, I would ask them to think about what are the mindsets? What are the things that are running in your head that tell you, I better make sure I do this, or I need to have options in a job because and just ask yourself, are those things that are going to help you survive or are those things that are going to help you thrive? And I think it's not about, um, you know, saying, you know, ditch the survival piece, because there are situations where you are, you know, trying to support a family or you're trying to make rent and you absolutely need financial security. But one, you want to make sure that that's not running the show and taking on more weight um, than it needs to, because what I see is if you don't do some of that inside work, then you get to a point where you're an executive or you've got plenty to survive and, and feed your family, but you're still running on these old stories. I better hustle harder and I better make sure I climb that ladder as opposed to stopping and pausing and reflecting and asking yourself, what do I really need for this next phase in my life? Yeah. So I, I, I do want to come back to the question just to drill down specifically, though, on younger on the younger population, because again, what I, what I heard from you, maybe you were saying, and I, and I just missed it. I heard from you more about those who were kind of like already, you know, a little bit more advanced, a little bit more mature, maybe already working and having them take, take some time to think about their programming, you know, what's in their minds and, and, and sort of base it off of the reality that they're encountering and determine their next steps. But I guess what I'm asking here also is, you know, sometimes we need to learn from, what has worked for large groups of people and what hasn't worked, you know, mm-hmm. you know, individuals are always individuals, but if you see trends and there's significant trends and you say something like the great resignation, now the great resignation is not quite the great recession, right? So, you know, it's all relative, but it certainly sounds big and it certainly sounds significant. And I believe the, you know, the statistics are, you know, in the millions, at least in the U S yeah. of women in particular who have resigned either left the workforce completely, maybe they went on on their own, maybe they try to recreate what their work life would look like moving forward. But the bottom line is they didn't find the path that they were on to be a sustainable and successful one for them. And so I guess my question is going all the way back now to the messaging we're giving our kids moving forward. I know it's not very politically correct to say that there are differences, let's say by gender, or in other ways, but I'm wondering, just based on the experience and the questions and the thoughts you've had from hearing from all of these women that you have, um, that you have interviewed, is there something we should be doing at an earlier stage even to not, you know, not, not just you're in it. So now let's figure out if it's still working for you, but you know, are, are we setting the ideals right in the first place, I guess, is my question. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if I had to dial it all the way back to elementary and middle school, I'd actually ask it it maybe, or I'd answer it in a slightly different way. I think there's ideals that we need to be sharing with our children. I have both a son and a daughter, so I'm very conscious about how I do either gender roles or the the models that my husband and I are, are offering to them. But I think there's things that that we need to think about. What are the ideals that we pass on to our kids? And then there's things structurally that need to change within the workplace. So within our kids, I think that the first piece is making some of those intentional trade-offs. So thinking about what is it that lights you up? If I were talking right now to my 14-year-old and my 11-year-old, I'd start with what are the things that light you up? What problem in the world do you want to go solve? So you can actually start to 
anchor what you're doing in some purpose, as opposed to trying to raise them with a sense that you do the same 30 year job and you get a gold watch at the end of it, you know, which is what my grandparents told us. We're in a very different economy. So I think if we start to focus on what actually lights you up, and then you can actually start to raise kids to be more focused on the purpose that they bring into the world and how they look at their job at fulfilling as, as, some, as one element of fulfilling that purpose. So I think that's the first piece. I think the second piece is to really be honest with them about the trade-offs that we're making as parents and what that looks like in terms of gender roles. I think there's so much um, that we can actually model within our own houses as to who does what what type of um, you know, uh, caregiving balance there is, and that's a personal decision for every family, um, but knowing that the worldviews of children neurologically are actually baked into them by first grade. So by seven, seven years old, you have a sense of, you know, how do I get love? How do I keep, how am I kept safe? You know, what are the things that I get punished for versus rewarded? What are the models that I'm looking to? So knowing that that's actually, the home is a very important place because it is the first place that we learn what relationships truly are. So I think that's the, the second piece. And then the third is just, you know, as they start to grow, helping them figure out, like tapping into the actual emotional and mental health pieces of it, that there's no bad emotions, that, you know, talking about how you feel is an important piece on top of succeeding, I think is a really important piece that um, that we can do within the home. And then the other piece to that, those are, those are the things I would, I would ask them to be aware of. But I think the other piece to that is thinking about the workplace, which based on the research that I had done and what I'd heard from these 300 women, um, really hasn't structurally changed a whole lot, you know, since the 1950s. And so when you think about all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, we're still focused on outputs and widgets, right? But we've moved to this knowledge economy. And so we're still trying to force people into production. And you see it in some of the cultures where people have to be in an office or else they're not trusted. Um, and I'd like to see us move past that because I think when you're actually able to measure impact, and collaboration on top of individual output, you see a lot of these gender roles start to not make as much of a difference because you'll still have to make trade-offs, but the reality is we expect women in this country to do most of the caregiving and that flies right in the face of a nine to five workday unless there's some flexibility pieces baked in. So I would love to see some of the workplace change um, to accommodate more of the things that we would like to have both our sons and daughters be able to do in the future of work. Yeah, yeah. And somebody who is speaking as somebody who has, I guess you would say, reared in, in, in pretty traditional values, one of the things that I'm encouraged by, you know, with not just our conversation, but with others relating to changes in the workplace is that I do think, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize because. Mm -hmm people say a lot of things in the name of the industrial revolution, whether that's education, workplace, et cetera, that, that are probably true to a degree, but I think tend to be overstated. You know, there's a lot of complexity layers, nuance, et cetera. And most things right. that happen, certainly on a macro level like this, at the same time, it does feel to me that for a period of decades, minimally, um, certain very, very significant concessions were made in mass in order to advance, let's call it the future of humanity, careers, et cetera. And that included the family unit that included things like faith or whatever your belief system may be. A lot of things were kind of pushed aside in order to make sure that we advance, we grow, you know, the economy, et cetera. And what I'm seeing 
is that while we still want all of those advancements, we're also coming to realizations that things come with a cost. Mm-hmm. And those costs may not be worth the benefits that we are, that we're gaining from it. So right. minimally, we're pausing, you know, in a collective sense of the term, as we kind of talked about before, and going back to basics. And when I was asking the question about, you know, about education or whatever, and you have your answer, of course, and I might have my own, but in my answer certainly would be, you know, and I think you talked about this too, in some way, to re-emphasize, to sort of put back up towards the top, the importance of things like family and relationships and things like that. Because at the end of the day, you know, work comes and goes, opportunities come and go, but certain things are what I would say eternal, at least span our entire lives and really are our core identity. And I think it's really fascinating and wonderful that not just women, but certainly many, many women, because the intersection for them is even stronger, I would say, on so many levels that, you know, that it's kind of coming to this, you know, let you know, hold on a second. <laughs> what are we really doing to ourselves? And, 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 and where do we want to kind of fit it in moving forward? And so giving permission, in my case, I would be telling my daughters, you know, giving them permission to not only say, you know, there's an important place for work for sure, but let's never forget about A, B, C, D, those values, which include family, faith, things like right. that. You know, I'm sensing, I'm guessing even from your conversation that that's probably a lot of where the conversation has been shifting individually and collectively as we kind of reorient our minds. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think just to to drive that point home, the challenge becomes when we work in cultures, whether that's in a family unit or in a, a workplace or society at large, that that basically say your worth is somewhere out here as opposed to your worth is preordained by whatever you choose to believe in, whether that's God or the universe or what have you, whatever your faith-based system is, you have worth as a human just being born. Um, and trying to reconnect with those values, I think is an important first step. But the reality is we are also working in workplaces that are constantly testing those values. You know, family was one of my biggest values. And yet little by little, I was on three planes a week and spending 60 hours a week, you know, away from them. And so that was one of my moments of saying, I still really believe that my family is so important. And part of this I'm doing is for my family and yet it's costing me my relationships with my family. And so I think that's part of it is, not just stating your values or saying you have permission to go after the values, which is the the very important first step, but also looking at what workplaces, some workplaces do to actually erode those values or challenge you, your ability to live those out in a way that also allows you to succeed. And I think that's where the rub happens because it becomes almost like the air you breathe that everyone else is doing it. And so, you know, of course you have to, you know, there's no option to go 20 hours a week. So therefore, you know, I have to quit, so I must just stay. And I think that's where I'd love to see more options for our children um, so that they're not forced to make these black or white decisions. There's so many options in between. Um, and, and part of that is on them to, to see that they have value in, you know, doing whatever role actually lets that balance. And the part of that is on the workplace to change. Yeah. And that's a great segue, actually, to the other question, that loaded question that I referred to, referred to earlier that I would like to get to now for a couple of minutes, and that relates to your comments earlier about bosses and microculture and um, how individual bosses oftentimes in their own respective domain are so significant in terms of framing what the culture, the expectations are, et cetera, even if it's not necessarily corporate-wide or structurally across an organization, but it may operate in pockets. And so 
between that and what you just said now about the rub and whatnot, I'm curious to know what is your take on the role that leaders have in creating culture? And if you were giving advice to bosses, whether they're male bosses working with female um, members of their team or not, that they should be mindful of and recognizing in terms of what they do that will ultimately help create a better culture. Yeah. So, um, and I actually covered this in the last part of my book because the rest of it is really how do leaders detox from the hustle culture and tap into what they're meant to do and move that forward. The final piece is actually this conclusion focused on what does that mean if we were to rehab corporate America and, and actually move that forward, what would that look like? And so I think there's there's a model that I put down for you know moving from surviving to thriving. The first piece is trust and creating that psychological safety to speak up because that's the number one thing that I heard from the women that I interviewed was that I wanted to say something or I did say something and then I got, you know, demoted or I got an opportunity taken away from me. So having that trust to be able to verbalize, um, you know, opinions and, and have that taken to heart. The second is help, um, you know, modeling, asking for help and being vulnerable. Um, vulnerability is actually the place where we have connection with other humans. But one woman that I quoted in the book said, vulnerability here in our culture will get you eat, eaten alive. And so I think that's kind of this balance of how do you actually ask for help, but also still, you know, um, you move ahead. Um, the I stands for impact. So really starting to measure the impact of what we've done as opposed to just the output. Um, and a lot of cultures say this, that of course it's the whole package, it's the total leader, and then they'll still reward the rainmaker who's a jerk um, or just revenue um, and whatever you might've done to build, build you know, culture or belonging on the side is a pat on the head, but you're gold on what you bring in the door. That's not actually measuring impact. Um, we talked a little bit about vulnerability already, but empathy is the last piece where you really need to think about, you know, how are you leading in a way where you're seeing what your workforce really needs? You're tuning into that. All kinds of CEOs do this different ways, whether that's, you know, listening sessions and town halls and communication or on the ground um, groups. But I think those um, those elements are all ways to make sure that we stay grounded in creating cultures that really work for everybody to thrive. Beautiful. So I have one final question on our topic before I ask the final question, which I ask everybody. And if you were, I, I guess the question, Jenny, for you is, if you are talking to women who are still in their workplace, they wanna walk away, because they're struggling, they haven't done so yet. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I always ask them two questions. Why? <laughs> why do you want to walk away? And why haven't you yet? Because within those is a whole host of, if you want to walk away, is it is it specific abuse and something that's super toxic to you? That's a no-brainer. Is it you're burned out and there's boundaries that you can change around your time or energy at home or work? Maybe there's something that can be changed within the dynamic before you walk away. Are you bored um, or do you feel lack of purpose? Um, there's all kinds of reasons that we have burnout. And so that's the first piece is just why, just getting really clear on your why. The grass isn't always greener. And if you take all those mindsets and patterns and just plop them into a new company, chances are you'll uh, you'll wind up just repeating a lot of the same. But then the second piece is why not? You know, why haven't you left yet? What's holding you back? What's standing in your way? And then 
then often there we'll find that, you know, you're not being honest with yourself about the amount you really need to bring in or, you know, whether you feel like you have enough identity outside of this job. And it really starts to uncover what are the things that are holding you back and then lets you decide whether that's something you still want to be bound by. Yeah. So I actually have to ask you this and I'll keep it short if possible. What is the craziest why you've ever heard? What is the craziest why I've ever heard? In terms of people having to, wanting to leave. Um, it's interesting. I was going to say the, the why not, the, the most consistent why not I hear from women is because I want to protect my team, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to leave them with a bad boss or whatever. Um, the, you know, I don't know if it's crazy, but the biggest why that I've heard, um, well, there's so many stories that I, I, you know, that were really painful to listen to, um, in terms of why they were leaving, but probably the craziest was, um, you know, somebody who said that I, I need to have, you know, the certain amount of money to feel safe in my life. And if I don't have that money, I won't feel safe. And so they were leaving to get a promotion somewhere else, which I thought was an interesting point that, you know, might be helping them, but it also might, at the end of the day, there's no amount of money that can keep you safe in the world. And so that's something that I hope that, uh, that she digs into at some point. Got it. Okay. And so for our last question of this segment, that is what is, what has been, you know, oftentimes we look at people and they're doing really great things. And so we wonder, have they ever had any down moments? Have they ever struggled? What has been your biggest, uh, challenge, failure, setback, and what have you learned from it? Oh, well, my biggest one was honestly not listening to myself years ago. Um, I, I probably had this little voice in me 10 years ago that said, I don't know that I'm meant for this. I don't know that I'm put on this earth to do this job and it feels successful and I'm doing all the things that, you know, I was raised to do to provide for my family and go after something I love, but it's run its course and I really should be thinking about something else. And I was scared um, to listen to that voice, because what would that mean if I didn't work or what would that mean if I left something that seemed to be going so well? Um, so I think my biggest mistake, um, and regret with that is not listening to that voice that said, not this flashing billboard of go over here, (laughs) but just, Hey, this isn't, this isn't working anymore. Um, and I tried to quiet it. And as we all know, when you do that, it only finds ways to speak louder. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now we are going to transition to the rapid fire. I must tell you, I did do a little bit of research on your LinkedIn profile, and I think this first (laughs) one will reflect it. Okay. The coolest feature of driving a Jeep. Oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, I have a one-touch roof, uh, retractable roof, and that is absolutely the best feature. Cool. Love it. The best advice you've ever received? Um. Your thoughts may be real, but that doesn't mean they're true. The third one, on a scale of one to 10, how organized are you? 10 being highest. Uh, I would say a seven. Okay, pretty good. And then related to that, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. Oh, so I used to be ruled by 30 minute increments on my calendar. And now I actually have a paper book so I don't get distracted. I pick the top three things I'm going to do to advance my goals for the quarter. And those three things have to get done before anything else gets done. And that's been my number one productivity hack. Fantastic. Okay. So Jenny, please let everyone on Lead to Succeed Nation, uh, listening to this engaging conversation, learn more about uh, or find you 
you know, how can they connect with you? How can they find you? How can they learn more about your work and really connect with your purpose? Yeah. So um, best way is to go to the website, which is www.corporate-rehab.com. There you can find links to order the book. If that's the easiest thing for you, if you want to look at private coaching or have me in to speak on a workshop, you can certainly do that there too. And then I'm also on social. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and recently on TikTok, and uh, unfortunately for my teenagers, but those are the places you can find me. I had similar reactions to all of the above, (laughs) with the exception of LinkedIn, but I get a different kind of feedback on that one. Anyway, (laughs) before we go, Jenny, as I always ask my guests, I'm going to ask you as well to please leave us with one final thought, one final life lesson that can kind of just, I guess, capture and culminate what we've been discussing until now. Yeah, we, we hit on this a little bit, but I think it's important to just leave listeners with just listen to yourself. Um, you have so many of the answers within you and our bodies, our souls, our minds are trying to communicate that in so many ways. Um, and so just, just get really quiet and still and listen. And um, you really have everything you need within. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Learned a lot from you in this conversation. And I'm very excited to put this content out there and, and share your message uh, with my listeners. And I certainly hope to deepen our relationship over time. So awesome. Jenny, continued success in what you're doing. It's, there's a real need in, uh, in the world at large. And, and I really do hope people take advantage of the opportunity to work with you. Thanks so much, Neftali. Thanks for having me on today, too. My it was pleasure. A it's been an absolute pleasure. Have a great day now. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 